0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Success in Finance. Joining me today is Sam Allenson. I mean, graduated from Cambridge with a law degree. Sam chose to pursue a finance career starting out as a graduate finance analyst at Kingfisher. He undertook a number of commercial roles during his 8 years with Kingfisher before moving to breaks as head of FP&A and then Sky where he spent 4 years first as financial controller and then as senior finance manager. In 2017, Sam joined Ladbrokes as head of commercial finance and was involved in their takeover by GBC since the acquisition two and a half years ago sam's remained gfc's head of commercial finance Um, so he's going to talk us through his career and uh, i hope you enjoy the episode don't forget to subscribe share and comment and you can also uh watch some of our recent interviews on my youtube channel thanks Hi Sam, thanks for joining me on the podcast today, how are you?
1: Good morning, thanks for having me, yeah very well, very well, Friday morning, so tough week just gone and looking forward to a, a good weekend ahead.
0: Good, good to hear Sam, Um, well, I guess the best place to start, do you want to give us a quick summary of your career to date and then we can uh, do a bit more of a deep dive?
1: Sure, so, so firstly, so I'm very much a, a commercial generalist rather than a specialist, and I'm, I'm definitely not a technical accountant or an auditor, um, so I've worked in three diverse customer facing industries uh, and each one has been like the leading business in that field, so I've been very fortunate. Um, I built my career up through combination of group and divisional roles in fp and commercial finance functions. So large part of my activities have been around forecasting, reporting, overall p management and then business partnering type activities. Um, So I really enjoy the challenges that working in large, complex matrix organizations throw up. um, We're working for multiple stakeholders, conflicting priorities, you've got problems to work out, and I really love doing things at scale. So, you know, basically sort of big numbers and high, uh, large impact type
0: activities. Cool. Thanks for that, Sam. Um, so I guess going back back to, to the start, you did a law degree at Cambridge. What then led you to to choose to pursue a finance route?
1: Sure. So when I, if you take a step back a bit further, I mean, I was, you know, quite an academic child, I guess, and, and got good A levels and didn't really want to continue any of them further into degree. You know, I was probably strongest at maths um whereas I think when you go to degree level maths a it gets impossible and b you lose you actually lose the numbers and they get replaced by letters so I thought a level was probably I was going to max out at maths a level um and then there's a couple of other things I was looking at but actually I decided to have a bit of a clean break and take up a completely new subject and you know challenge myself with a hard one so um the the I was probably a bit influenced by you know spending a lot of my informative years you know reading John Grisham books and uh, watching Tom Cruise movies so I actually thought law was quite cool and sexy so I thought let's give it a go and you know got the right grades got through an interview um spent a gap year doing a bit of sort of research into the law profession in the UK and in the states and started uh, started a law degree there and what I mean I love I loved it and I loved the experience that Cambridge gave me but it became apparent that it wasn't quite as glamorous as all that um, in terms of a legal profession, and pretty dry. You know, lo- there's lots of reading during um, during the degree. You can see why they say you you have to read law. You certainly do. <laughs> and um, and then afterwards, yeah, you just you know you just pick up experiences through um, during summer placements. And I'd, I worked for a law firm a little bit after graduation. Just decided that law wasn't for me. So then fell back on, what are the things I'm good at really? So again, good at maths, did economics A-level, so kind of get that side of things as well. Um, So leaning down the finance route, and again, then looking around at um, options and didn't really want to go into things like banking, didn't want to go into audit. Um, So then just got chatting to a recruiter, um, what, about almost 20 years ago now, that talked to me about SEMA. And I thought, that sounds all right, you know, get something under my belt like that, and, and actually you could then start working in an, in an industry. Um, so the first company I worked for was a company called Kingfisher PLC. That was a um, FTSE, sort of 50 company at the time. I think it slipped down the tables a bit now. Okay. Um, and really, I fell into it because you don't necessarily, you know, I'd never heard of them. They, they're a DIY retailer, um, never heard of them before. Um heard that they own B and Q, so obviously I knew the brand, but you don't know the court you know, you don't know the corporate um entity, if you like. Yeah. So it was it wasn't necessarily a, a, a i want to work for that business or anything. It was more of a it's a good starting place and a recruiter, you know, introduces you to the company and you get on well with the people at interview and sort of and off you go.
0: Yeah um so tell me a bit about what you did there because you're obviously there for, for a decent stint I think about eight and a half nine years yeah and um, so you did a few different roles um so yeah just talk me through sure. what, what you were doing how you progressed and, and I guess how you found the seamer on the side of, of your first job as well
1: sure sure so the so the early um so moved to, obviously came in as a, a graduate job it wasn't a grad scheme per se um because it was a Working at their corporate head office. So the corporate head office in Paddington, London, um, probably had about two hundred people in. So you know that's a very, very small office for a for a head office of a you know such a big business. You know they got something like eighty thousand employees worldwide, and when you include all you know all the retail staff as well. Um, so my job was a graduate job in a, in an FP&A team that was called Business Performance. Um and um again, you know, you you're sort of doing one role really, but learning the basics in terms of how to do how to stop being a student, <laughs> how to how to learn Excel, um, how to, you know, learn sort of best practice in terms of what the the business analysts and the other finance analysts and the team, slightly sort of, you know, the more the, the qualified accountants, if you like, are um are doing and sort of just learning from them and supporting them all around so it's quite a sort of general nice introduction to it. Um, bulk, the bulk of my SEMA got out of the way during this role um, and to be honest work workload wise it was it was fine, it was pretty tough at the start looking ahead at the I think I had 16 exams to do over you know two to three years and it was a little bit deflating I must admit so I signed up to it and then look you know you look forward to all these exams you've got to do haven't just come out of a three-year degree and you go what 16 more exams that's quite a lot so um but gradually and slowly slowly uh, you know once you've got ticking them off you've got the first year done you get the first seven done you get the next three done, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel so it was um it was a bit of a slog exam wise but actually the company was great and they gave me a lot of you know a lot of they were very generous with time off and things like that very generous about you know leaving a little bit early to go to class exams prep days probably a little bit more generous than than some so the the exams were no issue and the ti- and the and the timings were no issue it wasn't like super stressful work super stressful exams but it was just a long old slog getting there um especially on the back, on the back of a degree so um so that was sort of the first role. and then i just you know a year before qualification was given a promotion to one of the effectively the qualified roles which was then getting into a bit more of the meaty um, FP&A type stuff where I would actually support some of the operating companies so Kingfisher has um, you know obviously corporate head office and then it has um, some very big companies in France and the UK so it's got Two companies called, well, the has B&Q. Everyone will know B&Q. Also, Screwfix. A lot of people know Screwfix now, in the UK. And then two in the two in France called Castorama and Brico Depot, um, which are again um, DIY home improvement big box retailers. Um, then what they've done is they've gone globally <clears throat> and tried to roll out either B&Q brand, Brico Depot brand, or Castorama brand across Eastern Europe uh, and Asia, basically. So um, some very successful, some not successful, then they've now exited. So my role as business analyst was to support the Screwfix brand, so as in you're the person in head office that is helping them on various things and working with their, their local finance team based down in Yeovil, which is a very nice long train ride, takes up <laughs> half your working day, yeah. um, and then also lucky enough to be able to support the Polish business and the Russian business with their Castorama brands, um, and the Polish business you know, is absolutely flying. Massive success story. While I was there, as was Screwfix. So Scrufix, wow. while I was there, launched their their trade counter, which is um, their you know they had a very successful catalog type business, and then they launched some trade counters, which were basically like an Argos type type thing. So I was doing all the capex appraisals, and as we rolled out straight, as we rolled out um, trade counters around the UK, so re- you know re- really really interesting and fun. And I was you know early twenties still, and you would be working with the FDs, working with the finance teams, you'd have you know, you get their respect pretty early, which is amazing, seeing as you haven't really done much to deserve it yet. But you know, <laughs> you, you sort of and also you actually then end up, you know, you're reporting for the guy who's reporting to this the group CFO. So you're you know two steps behind the CFO and spending time with them. So you know them on a first name basis, they know your face and you um uh, will end up presenting you know presenting to them, be it business performance reviews, capex appraisals, budgets, things like that. So I didn't really realise at that stage how fortunate I was to be spending time with with these individuals and, and actually in reviews with them. I thought it was normal.
0: Yeah, um, I was, I was going to say, was that intimidating at all? But presumably, yeah, you just went straight into doing that. So you just thought that was how it all worked.
1: Yeah, def- definitely. I've been more intimidating going in front of a CFO now, um, <laughs> 20 years on, um, because, you know, they weren't they weren't so sort of, you know they weren't scary people um yeah. they were you know they were quite as you imagined quite direct and he didn't spend a bit of time with the ceo as well so no it was just completely normal it was only really when um other friends of mine were joining various grad schemes you know finance or marketing whatever it might be at big places like diageo or unilever or whatever it might be and they'd never like seen the seen the cfo or anything you know they just didn't you know, they were like ten rungs behind him in a big org chart and they would almost never see one or two steps above. So there are there are massive benefits through getting that exposure but actually um, you you sort of when you're in that corporate when you're in a small corporate world and you're very junior it's quite hard to think what's what's the next what's the next promotion um, and what's um, and how do I get line management experience because um, your boss is effectively massively senior and you're you know doing a good job helping him out but you're not going to get his job anytime soon yeah so so you're going you, you need to think differently in terms of your career progression and and how you move around within those businesses um so on got, that
0: point then did you did you sort of have to drive your own next step internally
1: yeah 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 i did so i so the first so after i so basically i think i had about five or six different roles and it was a bit fluid and it moved around a little bit, but the first two roles were were quite clean. So they were within this within the business performance area doing a very clear job supporting the team as a as a graduate and then supporting those businesses as a business analyst where you're ultimately, you know, accountable for that for those areas of the business. Um, Then I then I moved from uh, and then I started, yeah, having, you know, having career, proactive career conversations about what can I do next, what's something different, et cetera. So then I ended up running, uh, like running the the budgeting and the strategic plan process, and three-year plan process. And, you know, it's thing that when you're in a head office, often it's things like pulling together templates and, and uh, you know, getting, pulling together PowerPoints and making sure numbers reconcile and consolidating and this sort of stuff. So I don't want to say it's too glamorous in terms of you know, running the budget process, but that's effectively what you're doing. You know, you're making it tick. You're making sure things are in on time. do, do things make sense? Ask the right questions. Um, you're not accountable for any one budget per se, but um, you know you're that's what you're doing. you are sort of help. So I was went from organizing the businesses to actually running the processes. So you sort of almost like across a parallel and um, lateral and a, a vertical type type thing. That's that's the way it sort of. I saw it in my head anyway. Um, and again, that that was that was good. Once you've done a, a round of it and you've been through the whole sort of forecasting process, it gets quite cyclical. So again, you want something new and then probably took a bit of a false step in in saying I'd help on something else which was project driven that that I knew really wasn't my skill set. Um, but I went for it as something new and, and also it was, a, it was a, to try and help out. And it was it was a finance transformation role that. I only ended up doing for about a year, but I knew in my heart of hearts, I wouldn't be very good at it and I wouldn't be interested in it. And guess what? I was right. <laughs> so it ended up being a bit of a stop start sort of role that I didn't really, I probably didn't have my heart in it and didn't, you know, you needed to probably drive it forward. And it was all systems integration. It was, it was um, accounts, some accounts payable, automation It's all the stuff that I am no good at and I don't understand to this day. So
0: no i do agree with you like that stuff wouldn't appeal to to me either but i think that transformation and going through a systems change does look good on the cv and stand you in good stead have you sort of found that it's been helpful at all since then or is it just a move that you probably regret yeah
1: so it's so it's my first foray into into sort of project management in terms of you know how do you actually land something and that could be And I've done we've done two integrations in my current business, which I'll come on to later and both successful, really enjoyed. So some it's definitely it gives you transferable skills. um, But ultimately, when the subject is accounts, payable automation, it's quite hard to get motivated Um, and some people love it. Some people just love that sort of thing. Um, But, you know, it's not for me, but it was my it was my first foray into. How to actually plan something uh, long term with an end game so you're sort of going well this needs to be ready in three months and let's take a step back and let's do some Gantt charts and some critical path analysis and this sort of stuff so there's a, so there's a couple of things that I um, pushed forward really, rather than landed um, in a in a period of less than a year and that was that was uh, the final part of my um, uh, of this business performance team and then I actually um, sort of jumped ship quite quickly internally um, when a new team was set up which was the innovation team um, which is outside of finance Um, Mm. so that was basically a it wouldn't this wouldn't happen anymore because people wouldn't fund it but a a a new sort of direct report of the CEO was was brought in he was already internal but he was brought in to set up a he's an ex-consultant and he was brought in to set up a innovation team to, to basically try and test um new things in the business. And that can either be new um new things to go alongside existing business or or completely new things. And I think we had ring fenced about 50 million quid per year, um, including no, it wouldn't have been fifty, maybe it was twenty. <laughs> including including salaries. But it was basically saying this this team is ring fenced from any cuts. Um they just sort of get on with what they want to do. Um. Try and test stuff. The grand scheme of things, twenty isn't that big a number in Mm. by Kingfisher standards. So we don't almost don't want to get them bogged down with the day to day of reporting and month end and forecasting and stuff. And ultimately, um, that team just can, can just go and try stuff. So the team is a combination of marketeers, finance people, and strategy consultants. So it was. It was brilliant and, was, and we and we, we got on amazingly well. It was a brilliant bunch of people. There's about sort of six of us plus our boss. And we just um we he just ba- we basically sort of came up with an innovation funnel whereby we you'd think of new ideas, and that would generally be the marketeer type character who would then you know do some market research, get out what might customers want, then you'd in you know, go around shops interviewing customers about different services they might want then you go and draw up a business case and then trial it and then roll it out and everyone in the team would end up owning their own projects. So my, I had a couple to own which was the launch of the, the B&Q van hire in the store, which was a, which is, was a, a success, which went from you know doing a, doing a business case to a trial of seven and then you're sort of managing a team of about sort of 30 people operationally around the business that you need help from. Um, Some of them can sacrifice most of the time. A few of them can sacrifice 10% of the time. But you're having to sort of, you know, drive it forward alongside the normal business. Um, And that went out into rollout and that was great. You can still see vans to this day, which I'm proud of. And then we did another one um, very similar that, you know, no reasons why one would fail and one would succeed. But another one um, around storage units. So basically uh, it's called collect and store. So the idea was that we'd bring a storage van, to, um, you know, storage unit to your house, leave it outside your house, you'd fill it up, then drive it away. And it would be things for if you needed storage or if you wanted to renovate your home. So it's sort of linked to, to, the, to the B&Q core proposition, but not close enough. So the the way I sort of see success and failure is the van hire was, you know, as in-store, it was visible, it was really, really linked to getting your goods home because Mm -hmm. our delivery network wasn't great probably still isn't um and then the the storage unit was probably just a little bit one step further removed from the core proposition which meant that it just didn't quite gain any traction and then once it stops the traction and store managers lose interest they stop promoting it in the store and then it's it's like a um a, a, a spiral of, of, of sort of failure. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but you learn from it again, and, and we probably didn't throw enough money at it, probably didn't promote it hard enough. We did a little bit of like, Google advertising and things like that, but it doesn't really, doesn't really touch the sides in terms of any impact. So, um, so two 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 fascinating projects that I ran for about a year, side by side, one rolled out, one shut down. And mm-hmm. then, Got the opportunity to go to China, um, in you know de- here and there for for a year, uh, working on a new proposition for the for the Chinese uh, market, which was uh, at the time we had a you know B and Q type format in China, which uh, wasn't going well. It was really expensive to run, and instead um, they wanted to try something new, something you know innovative and a bit more upmarket and luxury for a, a different customer base. So. Again, went out there, did the blueprint with the the board in China and fascinating market, great life experience going out there quite a few times over the course of a year. Probably had a luxury of not having to become an expat there but instead of just take you know business class flights every couple of weeks and yeah. stay in nice hotels and stuff which again would probably be binned now so I was um no so I was very lucky with, with with Kingfisher in terms of being able to travel to some fantastic places and you know get a senior exposure early on and and that sort of stuff so you know it was it was, it was fantastic um but like I said earlier there's there's a few you know there are a few watchouts in terms of Small corporate HQs, um, having to having to force your career, as as you say, you know, um, and and that line management piece around not being um, not being as obvious uh, what the next step is and this sort of stuff. The way I what I did, because my next role was was line management, but the way I sort of leveraged. The, the experiences is more around well if I've run projects and I've and I've managed people and I've I've hit deliverables and you know project teams ranging from two up to about thirty then line management while it is different you you at least are showing those sorts of skills so when you go to your next job interview and it's it's for a you know a, a sort of mid management type role managing a small team of analysts at least you've got something to go on rather yeah. than rather than nothing and saying I don't have line management experience you're just going to have to take a punt on me so um yeah yeah i mean and again the you know the big com- big company like that does give you a lot of a solid framework on best practice but you you need to sort of balance out um the amount of time you spend there and why why you're moving on because there's a risk of becoming a lifer um and if you if you over if you overstay things there's you i think you've probably got a a risk of being more valuable internally because of your knowledge and experience rather than externally and and when you get to that position you you 'll find it hard to get the jobs you want on the on the salaries you want bluntly um, yeah that's my view you 'll probably know more because you you've seen both sides of the fence, but that was what I say you need to move to the right reasons at the right time
0: yeah no i think I think that's um. That's a really good point, actually. So, is that why? Because you then moved on to Sky, and was that really the the rationale behind that? Yeah, it
1: was. I mean, you know, again, it was it was a uh, it was a recruiter phone call, and I, I was I, at that stage, I was I was sort of doing the coming going in China, and there's potential opportunity to um, to go and work out there more full time. <clears throat> and actually launched the store and this sort of stuff but again I was, you know I was eight and a half years in I was getting to a stage where uh, I didn't have that line management experience and I was probably about 30 by this point and I was sort of thinking well hang on a second I could easily it, it's quite an easy option to float around and be looked after in a in that corporate <laughs> environment and probably there'd been something quite interesting along the way and, and I had some good friends there so it was you know, it wasn't hard to leave exactly, but it was it would have been an easy decision to stay. Yeah. And I I certainly my peers then, a few of them are still there and they're still they've still got manager in the title and they're not managing anyone. Now that's not a criticism of them because they're um, you know, they're they they've done really well and they're enjoying it and, you know, they're sort of brought in for life now, which is which is great. But I but I, you know, I probably reviewed that eight and a half years as not being the the most progressive in my career because I, have, I wasn't as pushy you know a push a pushy person would have said right I need to and there was one in the team as well that said "Right, I need to become a line manager so I'm going to go out and work in Southampton where, where being q based or I'm going to go to Yeovil or go over to France and, and work in one of the operating businesses you know and slot in at the right level as a line manager and then and then move upwards but given I hadn't done that five years earlier I thought well, listen, I don't really want to do it now either and I I I enjoyed living in London so I didn't want to necessarily leave unless there was something really compelling why not to. So so yeah so then then you know moved across the Sky and obviously um you know the Sky name is a is a is a big one and um it was based in West London I live South West London so it it, it you know it made it made sense you know it's customer facing um and managing a small team of of high um capability analysts um, in, a, in, you know, I like sports. I like technology, I like media, television. So, you know, it, it was just a, a bit of a no-brainer in terms of, um, in terms of com- the, the type of company that I would want to, want to work for. Um, so, yeah. So after, after eight and a half years, I moved on.
0: Cool. Um, yeah. So, so Sky then. Um i know there's a there's a few different divisions over there so what what sort of team were you in um you went in as senior finance manager then progressed up to fc um so yeah just talk me through the type of work there because i mean those titles don't sound too commercial but i think you were probably doing quite commercial work there correct me if i'm if i'm yeah right.
1: yeah so um so firstly there's it was actually the other way around in terms of those roles so senior they have, they've got firstly sky obviously massive business but has a massive finance support so you are talking you know like a 200 analysts 50 financial controllers 10 di- you know 20 heads of finance 10 directors this sort of stuff cfo group cfo and this was back when i joined it was just a uk business since then it's um while i was there it came together with germany and italy which were part of the fox network but came together as sky as part of I think Murdoch making a lot of money out of corporate manoeuvres. Uh, and then obviously recently it's been bought out by Comcast, so even bigger business. But, but even back then, Sky UK was a massive business. So you've got, um, so financial controller was a level. So at Sky, so you've, you've got a Sky grad scheme, then you've got a, a finance analyst, then you've got a senior finance analyst, then you've got a financial controller who manages a team of analysts. Then you've got a senior finance manager. Head of Finance, Director of Finance, and that, and, and it, you know, so it's a big sort of pyramid, very hierarchical. Although every business will say we're not hierarchical, but it very much is. And again, <laughs> that's not criticism. That's just that that I like I like that structure. To be honest, in terms of it's really it's really clear, and um, it's almost like an audit firm would be would be sort of structured, and so everyone knows exactly, you know, so.
0: Um, Yeah, I I do think, yeah, because when I left Audit and moved into industry, that was one of the things I struggled with, almost like what you had at Kingfisher, where where do I go next? So to have that really regimented structure is is quite nice, especially for people with a finance mindset that like that structure, so yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah no, no, I agree. I agree. So they, so they are the, the levels. Um, now you could be doing, um, within that, you could be doing commercial finance roles. You could be doing um, sort of group roles, consolidation, fp a type roles. You could be doing finance systems roles, or you could be doing um, the what we call the actuals reporting team that was based in Scotland. So they basically do the month end, the year end, this sort of stuff. And they effectively hand you the, the set of monthly figures and it's then yours to do reporting, forecasting, business partnering. So it was easily the most purest commercial finance organization I'll, I'll be in. Um, so the, you know, there's no risk of, um, there's almost no risk of going too technical or, or, do, or, or getting involved with the things that you don't like by accident, because mm-hmm. um, it really is carved out what really well. So yeah, so the, fir- the first role was a financial controller working in the product design and development area of the business so that was my first experience really in in terms of business partnering very senior um, leaders of the business and um, so my area of the business was looking after you know software engineers, products, directors this sort of stuff about improving the sky products you know for um, release after release They have software releases every few times a year or inventing the new iteration of, of the sky box or the sky go app and this sort of stuff so you know you're a team of about i think there's four analysts and me supporting a couple of hundred million per year capex of development and 20 million of opex and you're um you know you're supporting people who they don't speak finance language and you don't speak software development language, so it's it's, it's very it's, it's very and, and some big personalities and some a couple of tough stakeholders as well. So it's a bit of a baptism by fire in terms of how to do business partnering. Um, I probably thought I could do it uh, before, and I probably thought I could I was very commercial because it's a very easy word to say commercial yeah uh, in an interview, but actually what it is and, and how it works is is quite quite different. So, that, but I, might, you know, obviously I managed to get through the interview, and clearly I proved to them that I was commercial enough. And they have plenty of interview questions in in their process that will catch you out, I guess, if you're not, or you don't think sort of logically. So, um, so
0: what would you define as commercial
1: then? So, oh god, it's an interview question, that isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry,
0: just just as as you it, said, it, it, it does get thrown around. Yeah. So I think I think understanding and
1: being being able to relate to the, core, the your core business basically so um, that's that's how I'd see it so someone that then there are obviously skill sets like logical thinking and um, lateral thinking and problem solving there are skill sets that you can test the interview that will um, help you identify those people because often when you're interviewing and you haven't got people especially if you're interviewing people just out of audit to become to work for you at Sky you don't have a wealth you haven't got good academics you've got the big four on the CV and they're, they're, you know wet behind the ears fresh out of audit um, the they're, they're the sort of things that you need to test to figure out where they are commercial of course again everyone can do research on the business and if you do enough prep you can probably underst- you know throw out enough names around what sky do and how they operate and read the annual report and re- read this and that and stuff so you can you can probably get through it by not being commercial but then to test you, you'd, you'd throw in some of those those questions. But yeah, it, it's, it's ultimately being able to business partner and support the people who are managing the P&Ls. Um, and the way to do that is to, you know, understand their business inside and out and almost being able to work with them on, as peers or, or as a, a sort of on a par um, where you almost, you know, you form a, a team and a bit of an alliance in terms of, how to work through problems together, or how to do forecasts together and this sort of stuff. So, um, I mean, so Sky is very, very much like that. Um, but the great thing about finance at Sky is, firstly, it's big. So you've got a very big network, although that can be a, you know, it can be a downside when you're looking at competition and progression and stuff because it's being so big. But um, the finance really holds a seat at the table of all decisions at Sky. So the the CEO, Jeremy Darrick, was, the ex CFO. Um, we had a COO that was an ex finance director, and lots of the finance directors, <clears throat> so a level or, or two up from me, had been in the business 10, 20 years. And uh, so they, you know, they'd been with Sky since you know the Premier League started, and, and Sky started really taking off in the in 2002, 2003. Um, so they'd been with it they're 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 in they are in for life you know I think their their shares share schemes and things like that will definitely catch them for life and that's and that's fine and they've they've you know they've made a great career there but it means that you've got such a sky Sky finance is such a big reputation internally that you have everyone's ear which is which is great because you're you're not pushing at a, at a closed door and you actually are you know, always involved in the decision making which means it's brilliant because you're just you know you're constantly in the loop on things um, but there also there is also a, a you know, there's a massive expectation on you to basically lead a lot of the decision making process um, so you are doing the recommendations um, and uh, so therefore you do need to be at that level of commerciality um, to otherwise you'd you know you'd be laughed at basically yeah. um, and you, but the things you're learning about areas you, you just don't know about i mean the, i knew nothing about how technology is developed and what you know what software developers do and this sort of stuff so it's it's fascinating and you can you can really throw yourself into it i mean i had one guy in on my team um who was an absolute superstar and he would go and like listen to uh he would go and do like software engineering in the evening and go and listen to podcasts or TED talks or whatever or read books, whatever it might be, to try and improve his knowledge on how he could relate to to the business that he was supporting. I mean, he was he was incredible. Um and he you know, not everyone would go to those lengths, obviously. But um but to show that to show an interest and an aptitude in how your business works is is really key when you when you're wanting to do commercial type roles. Um so the so the second so I got a promotion internally and the second role was was within Sky was moving over to um our sales and marketing team. So again, you're instead of supporting product directors and software developers and stuff, you're supporting um your um people who've got sort of sales targets and KPIs to hit. So sales directors, marketing directors. Um, retention directors as well so you've you've got um, you're looking at basically subscription the subscription area of the business so um, subscriptions less churn basically is your is your net growth of your of your subscriber base and you know this guy's always been on a drive to push that up and up and up and then you've also got your your average revenue per user as well so you've got that as a metric about what you know how do you upgrade people? What more can you sell them? This sort of stuff. So, I mean, you know, this guy gets a bit of a bad press in terms of um, the subscription model and not letting people leave it easily and all all this kind of stuff. Constantly bombarding you with new offers, but that that is their model that is successfully has worked for for decades, and you know it just keeps keeps growing, keeps growing. So there's always new products out. You know, you launch Now TV which is a sort of a, a spin off of, of Sky and based, you know, without the uh, satellite broadcasting, it's over, over the Internet. So that was launched while I was there. Um, the new Sky box called Sky Q was launched while I was there and I was part of that, that sort of team selling it. So um, great and that's, but that's really, really fast paced. Again, lots of businesses will say um, they're fast paced, we're digital, we make decisions quickly, we move with speed, lot of cliches, but yeah. when you're working with um, when you're working on a day-to-day trading environment, um, you're talking about ten-minute, fifteen-minute sort of windows for decisions and, and analysis and stuff. Whether it should be like that is another question. But that's you know that's the sort of demands that you know your product director would pop over. You'd want something run really quickly. Should we pull this offer out of the market? Should we put another offer in? This sort of thing, and stuff is is incredibly agile and incredibly quick um so it's um yeah it's again fascinating part of the world to to be in and and I and I did a few things while I was there I touched on um our internet business so sky, you know Sky broadband um then a bit of sports a bit of hd a bit of multi screen bit of sky q um a bit of movies this sort of stuff so uh it was it was the, the sort of the out the sky add-ons that, that that I was looking at so Again, you know, it was, it was really fun, and this was because it's this is the this is the revenue area of the business. So there would be about seventy people in finance, um, just supporting the sales and marketing business, which is you know which is cra- you know, crazily big.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it sounds like um, you learned quite a lot there. To be fair, um, so so I guess after three and a half years, then a bit of a shorter stint than than Kingfisher. What drove you to move on was it another recruiter call or was it uh, i don't know you saw an opportunity or just time to leave yeah
1: so, so it was a recruiter call that triggered it um but ultimately it was around the next so the next level up i was probably a step or two away from and it, it would have been another you know internal rotation um and taking on something new for a couple of years and you know i was getting a little i was getting a little bit itchy feet mm-hmm. um Really enjoyed it, but probably looking for you know, there's some people, there were, some people have progressed a bit quicker and were a bit younger. So, so, um, just just you know, circumstance of earlier on in their career and stuff. So, I was probably thinking, I'm how old would I be back then, about 34, 35, something like that. And I was probably going, right, you know, if I if I want if I want genuinely to be leading a finance function or a you know, future C, you know, commercial CFO or a, or a divisional FD of a big business, I probably need to try and put my aggressive career progression first. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, you know, a good opportunity came up effectively to to head up um, head up the commercial finance team and actually set up the commercial finance team um, of what was Labrook's Coral then or Labrook's. Uh, Gala Ladbrokes Coral or whatever it's called back then. So basically there was a there was a merger between the the Gala Coral business which was um, where the finance team was based in Gibraltar and the Ladbrooks business where the finance team was based in in Rainers Lane in, in London and there was an integration of those two finance teams about to happen and they wanted a head of commercial finance to come in and effectively um bring over the that work to to gibraltar uh, and set up a and form a, a team with a commercial mindset so previously the team was very accounting um very month end very backwards looking and they wanted to bring someone who knew how you know forward looking commercial finance type type activities worked so um just took took the plunge really so came out to Gibraltar in an interview I did a phone interview first came out for one interview. They can't keep flying you back and forwards. So, um, um, it was given, you know, went back to the UK, was given the role. And then, uh, I think I started about three months later. So, you know, got my life in order and, and, you know, figured out, um, someone to rent the flat and this sort of stuff. And then, uh, and then came out here July, sort of three, three years ago now.
0: Nice. You enjoyed your role life?
1: Yeah. So it's, look, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny place, Gibraltar. It's uh, just a little, little rock right on the southern tip of Andalusia in Spain and mm. it's quite, you know, quite built up, quite crowded, quite noisy um, and, you know, it's, but it's sunny all year round, which is great. But um, the, 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 being frank, the best thing about it is you've got a huge amount of southern Spain to go and explore. Um, on even on the even on workday evenings and uh, and certainly on the weekends and you know if you want to take a, a week off or something or a long weekend you just go and drive and in an hour and a half you're in Seville a couple of hours you're in Granada or Cadiz and Jerez, you can even go skiing in the Sierra Nevada which is a couple of hours drive so look it's it's been a brilliant um very different but brilliant sort of three three or so years um and we well, you know certainly hoping for a few more um but no it's it's, yeah, it's been it's been great i mean you, it's very different from a busy london life where you've you're doing things most evenings and you've got you know all your mates around you and, and that sort of stuff um it, it is a is a complete break and it's a lot it's a lot more relaxed a lot calmer i think the the while there are stressful periods and busy times I think the in general the, the, the pace of, of working is is slightly more relaxed and slightly more siesta driven <laughs> um, but it's sort of a good combination of a bit of the, the Spanish relaxedness and a bit of a bit of the UK working and and the, the workforce is really diverse as well which makes it quite good fun so you've got quite a few English people quite a few Gibraltarians quite a few uh, Spanish and then all and, and then Quite a few people, few people from Asia, and a few people from all over Europe, really. So it's, um, yes, it, you know, it's 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 been great, and and I've 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 been in that one role, um, by name, for, for my whole time here. Now, normally, I'd have got pretty bored and tried to move on, but we've since since doing that, you know, integration of Labrooks and Coral together. Um, we then were about a year and a half later bought out by GBC. Um, which were was you know a really aggressive buyout because they were they were rough, well, I say aggressive uh, not ag- aggressive is the wrong word but they were a um, roughly the same size as Labbrooks Coral but right. they managed to you know get the leverage to to make an offer and and actually buy us out um, and since then I've been through another integration of finance teams so another integration in terms of system pla- platforms and this sort of stuff so it's it's. You know, it's all been it's all been fascinating, and it's and it's kept it very, very alive. And it, the scope has sort of doubled in size in terms of what I'm looking after. Um, but the the the, the, gen, the stuff is quite similar. But but where I'm at now, and I've been for about six to six months or so, is I really do now have a, a commercial finance team rather than a hybrid like it was before. So it took a bit of a while getting there um, through that second acquisition and stuff. It took a bit of a, a step back, but, um, you know, it was brilliant in terms of, you know, I've now got a team that we're doing the right thing in terms of commercial finance or interaction. You know, we're not doing that much month end stuff because when I when I moved in um, to the to the team, a lot of the team's activities were taking up by month end. So it would mean a, almost a we can't really do much for a couple of weeks of the year of the month. Sorry. um whereas now we're at a position where they you know they're all they're all sort of really enthusiastic about doing a commercial finance role they're all sort of learning on the job um they're all you know it's, it's so it's fantastic so got a really sort of good sort of junior but motivated team that want to want to learn and and you know then it's all the fun stuff like setting up how to expand their roles into next year and how to set up some succession planning and then and then figure out what next for me. So, um, no, it's, it's, it's been a, a different rule, a different move that we just had to go for, and I probably wouldn't have, it's flown by, you know, three 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 and a half years or so now, um, so it really has gone quickly and no signs of stopping. Before you know it, it'll be, you know, four, five, six years and me
0: yeah so that sounds like you're having a good time out there um pretty jealous actually of, <laughs> of the lifestyle um well yes do, do you have to to do much with the guys back in the UK is there I mean I guess everyone's used to remote working now but was that a struggle initially or
1: um so I would probably everything so not this year obviously but we so our you know our london we've got london head offices so stratford was where Labrook's coral business was and one new change by st paul's is where where gvc is um so there's still those two offices and you know a year or so back i would probably go over every couple of months um and then sometimes go for, for personal reasons once a month as well so right. it it would it would give you um you you know so you do three weeks a month here and then maybe pop back for a few days and this sort of stuff so you're not too far removed it's a very quick direct flight back from gibraltar to the uk so it's not like you're not ripping yourself out and going somewhere far flung the other side of the world so you've got that sort of comfort blanket if you like um but no it's been it's you know it's been no problem the lockdown here in terms of if you if you're going to spend it anywhere you know, being in a place where the sun's shining, you can sit outside. Um, it's not, you know, it's not big. It's not a big, built-up city where everything feels doom and gloom and stuff. And and to be honest, you know, we, our businesses businesses has survived and and if, you know, if not thrived during the during the last nine months. So it's always nice to have that. You know, no one's one hundred percent secure in anything, but it's nice to have that element of security, especially when you're away from. London and your friends and family it's not an element of security of at least the job safe <laughs> so yeah. so there'll be lots of businesses and industries that this year would have you know decimated their their finance teams when especially a commercial finance team like like mine you know if you're looking at your overheads cost base and you're saying what could we get rid of when we need to you know tighten our belts yeah. it's, these sort, it's these sorts of jobs that are probably the the, the more disposable ones in terms of in terms of finance functions, unfortunately. So, um, but we, you know, we've had a, a good year, and, and we're going into next year with, with some, you know, exciting plans for, for the for the business, and and being bought out by GVC would be the best thing that happened to Labrooks and Coral, just because the um, the level and ambitions of growth that the parent company has. Um, is fascinating. You know, is is amazing. You know, launched in the US to try and take take over that um, that that market, or not take over, at least be a, be a big part of of that of that market where sports betting is is now now allowed in in um, a handful of states. Um, and then and then this and yeah, the, they're still doing acquisitions in Europe. They're still snapping up um, small businesses all around and integrating them onto their platform and you know making synergies and savings and, and then expanding the top line as well. So they're all, they're all, they are a very well-run, aggressive business. Um, and they are you know, they're now about 70 in the FTSE, which is when I joined, they are about, well, Labrock's Coral were probably about three, 250, something like that. And then when the acquisition happened, they were, they were floating just below the, the 100, but their share price has, has done really well this year. Um trebled since a low in March, which is absolutely incredible um so they've, they've they're, yeah they're flying and, and uh in the type the type of industry we're in, there'll always be <clears throat> there'll always be headwinds there'll always be regulatory pressure and there'll always be you know and government lobbying and this sort of stuff that knocks us back every so often, but ultimately it's about building a, a sustainable business going forward, so you want to do the right thing for the customer and you want to um, you know, look after people who, who you know, may have problems and stuff because the, the vast majority of people who who um, place a bet with Ladbrokes Coral or our GVC brands or, um, and our customers are, are, you know, they enjoy it and it's an entertainment type business and it's all controllable. So it's about looking after the customers because it's going to happen regardless. So it's about how to build a sustainable business model. So every sort of regulatory impact that hits us and everything that to change in our back end or whatever it might be to to help our customers um gbc are brilliant at and they're they're, you know the best in breed at doing it so if anyone will end up winning the game in terms of you know long-term growth i've got no doubt that that I'm, i'm in a good place so uh no it's it's all all it's been a great decision to move down here Good, good to
0: hear, Sam. Um, well, I guess just before we wrap up, then a couple of uh, of questions. So, what advice would you give to aspiring finance professionals?
1: Okay, so a few of these things I might have touched on earlier, especially probably when I was talking about some of the Kingfisher experience, but. Um, Firstly, around development. So your, your your development plan is basically yours. It's not your bosses. It's not the businesses. It's yours, and it's your and it's yours to drive. So no no one will do it for you. Um, so very rarely, if ever, that I've been into a meeting and and a boss has sat me down and they said, oh, "I've got a great new opportunity for you." um there's a pay rise that comes with it and it's 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 new and exciting and this sort of stuff do you fancy it that that doesn't really happen so you need to work to and plot out where you think those moves might be but in order to get those moves you then need to agree a development plan and work on that development plan and that could be things like um exposure to, to senior finance people it could be um presenting skills, it could be p um, and ownership, project management, whatever it might be. It's, all, it's yours, but you need to focus on it and not forget about it because it's very, very easy to forget about it. And um, if you're in some businesses, yes, they might put in a structured review system where every quarter something goes in your diary or once a year something goes in your diary. But I think businesses are getting more and more away from that structured um, type of objective setting and and someone putting a review in. You know, that's quite old fashioned now, so therefore you need to drive it. And that and that can be totally down to your rhythm. You might want to do it once a year, you might want to do it once a month, um, but that, that continual feedback loop is really important as well. So if you set a plan, keep asking for feedback and keep getting that. So that's definitely one. Um, then stakeholder management and the importance of it, I think is is key, especially the type of things I do. About keeping, you know, keeping people in the loop and 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 not working in silos and 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 doing stuff, going lone wolf on things, and actually, you know, work um, managing it quite with your sort of in an unblinkered approach. Very important. Um, And a couple of other things. That's all right. So, Matt. So we had a term at Sky called Matt uh, versus Gloss, uh, and that's about anything you do is knowing. Knowing the audience and knowing the importance of it and how much time you should be taking on it. So there was something, and we then introduced a primer level, uh, which is your which is your first, just very rough and ready. But basically, it's saying that not everything you do needs to be 100% perfect, looks amazing, um, and on PowerPoint. Some of it can be on a spreadsheet. Some of it can be sort of guesstimates and this sort of stuff. Um, where, but some stuff, the important stuff, you know, it is worth spending that extra ten percent on polishing it up, getting the message really clear. Um, because generally, what a lot, I mean, a lot, I've seen a lot of pieces of work that the hard work's done, and it's just that finishing that's not done. And actually, if you're, if the audience is a group CFO or it's someone in the business that you know is making a decision off it, don't let them do the hard work. Um, in finishing it off for you you might as well do it yourself so you might as well come to that conclusion yourself or whatever it might be so I think that's that's key but that's not for it doesn't need to be for everything because if you did it for everything you'd run out of time everything would look beautiful but you'd run out of time Um, it's just about what are those key important pieces of work that are effectively going to get you you noticed and that leads on to my final point on that which is basically make your boss look good so um, don't don't clash with your boss make them look good because ultimately they'll they'll have you back if you've got their back. So that you know that could be things like deputising for them, um, prepping them in advance, sending them stuff to pre-read, putting in briefing meetings, all of that kind of stuff. So when they're effectively going to the top table and they're, they're presenting something, they they do a good job and you're you're effectively supporting them. And it and it does it pays dividends in terms of being looked after yourself in, in your in your career. So that's pro- probably it, four things from me.
0: Yeah I I love those that especially the last two not heard uh, anyone say anything like that before but yeah very good ones um and and I guess that there might be a bit of overlap here but are there three key attributes that, that have enabled you the success that you've had or is it basically the same things yeah it's
1: similar sort of stuff so um so not not trying to take everything too seriously is is definitely something that I've tried to adapt in the last sort of twenty years or so. So you know, you should be about trying to have fun, trying to create a bit of, a bit of a buzz. Um, sometimes you know, sometimes quite hard in in finance environments to to have fun. But you know, you try to try to do it. Um, and I think I think being a little bit more on the laid back side, or a little bit casual, um, enables you to be a bit more approachable. You'd hope. Um, and yeah therefore when you need to be direct you can be direct um, because you're not direct all the time Um, because you know if you're not approachable if so you're not approachable then people don't come to you so you don't find out if there are any issues if you're not direct then you're not landing messages so it's a tough balance between between that but you don't want to be cold and you don't want to be stiff and 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 too sort of formal in, in approach and you know I think I've always been in corporate so again you get a lot of quite you know, traditional, formal people in corporates, but already coming down to Gibraltar is, has sort of, you know, shows a different side of that. It is, you know, it is shorts in the summer and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then being able to take feedback and adapt. So um, I've got quite, quite a thick skin, but also I, I see the, the value of feedback. So I don't see any feedback as, as negative because I see feedback as something that you, I didn't know before. So even if you disagree and then and then it's your decision what you want to do with it. So you either act on it or you or you don't act on it. So if um but but I think I can act on feedback. Um and I agree it's you know their perception is your reality in terms of feedback. So it doesn't matter if you think they're wrong or a little bit unfair. Um I I will always try and adapt and, and act on feedback. So I'm sort of adaptable and and almost, you know, work with my boss on what's their you know, each boss has got a different style. So What's your boss's style and what do they want and and how can you sort of think about delivering something different for them than maybe you've done in the past so don't be too sort of rigid and set in your ways and then and then yeah and then just being output driven Um, um it is about delivery ultimately um so i think you know i've got so far through being output driven and if i keep going further it'll be about delivering more outputs really
0: yeah yeah absolutely um no, really, really helpful. Um, that Sam. Well, look, appreciate your time. Um, it's been really interesting to to hear about your career, as you say, three three big sort of market leading businesses. So, so good to hear about them. But yeah, really appreciate it.
1: Great. No, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, Danny.
0: Been a pleasure. Thanks, All Sam. Right.
1: Thanks. Bye for now.
0: Bye. So that was Sam Allenson. I hope you enjoyed listening to Sam's story. Uh, He talked about um, making sure that you drive your own career, Uh, the importance of stakeholder management, and that idea of Matt versus Gloss um, with with a primer level as well. Uh, So sometimes it's just about getting a rough draft together. Other times, it's important to make sure that it is the finished piece, and it's important to distinguish between when it's important to do which. Uh, The three, three key attributes that Sam noted in achieving success in his career to date were making sure that he has fun, acting on feedback and being adaptable and uh, being output driven and making sure that he delivers. As always, don't forget to subscribe, share and comment. And you can also watch recent interviews on my YouTube channel. Thanks.